to get started, but news is my dad. Now, it is time for news with my dad. A show we talk about the news with my dad. And live on telephone, playing the role of my dad. Is in fact the star of our show, my dad. Paper towel King Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? I'm okay. This is a show we talk about the news. We try to do okay. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout out? I have a shout out. I'm shouting out this morning for Mackenzie Rolfe, who is a choir director and has a choir in Marion County. And so they could continue to sing together, he has created a car choir where folks drive their cars to the Chemeketa College play parking lot and he wires them up and works it out so they can all sing together, seeing each other, hearing each other, but safe inside their cars, which I think is absolutely wonderful. Well, Pop, the Oregon legislature is in session. They gaveled in late last week. The windows are boarded over, but nonetheless, legislators showed up to work. They took their oaths. They started to talk about legislation. First day of the legislature is a little bit like National Syllabus Day in college. Pretty much, you know, you get your syllabi, you meet your teachers, meet your fellow students, no, 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 go home, have a beer. Not a beer necessarily. It could be a milk or a water. Legislature just did that. Over this course of this show, I want to talk about some of that. Anything, Pop, that you are looking forward to discussing, or maybe more importantly for democracy, looking forward to seeing discussed and maybe voted upon, passed, and implemented by the Oregon legislature? Well, I, I want to see what they're going to do with Representative Nearman. Yeah. I just think that's a really interesting thing to watch. And, and the, the fallout from what he did, and for folks who are not familiar, this is, this is a legislator from the central, the lower Willamette Valley, in, principally in Polk County, who opened the door so some potentially violent protesters could come into the Capitol when the Capitol was locked down. And, and to give an idea of the fallout from that, his mailing address on, on his information is in, in Independence. Now, he actually does not represent Independence. He lives a couple of miles out of town, and his district does not include Independence, but because of the vagaries of the postal system, his box is in Independence. And Independence uh, retailers and, and shops have been informed by folks that we're not going to buy from you anymore because this awful man represents Independence. And so much so that Independence government has issued a, a message to the world saying he's not one of ours. I just wonder, I'm going to, I, I really am wondering what, and I would be interested in your thought as to what you think the legislature ought to do, having served there for two terms. I think it's an interesting topic. I think it's an interesting topic for many dimensions. One of the dimensions I haven't heard talked about enough is for whom Representative Nearman works. Now, much of the question has been, many of the calls have been 
directed towards Tina Kotek, who stripped him of committee assignments. And there's a lot of pressure, a lot of discussion within the Democratic caucus of the legislature. And I've had a chance to talk to some of them. And, well, some, too. To be clear, journalists don't usually say if they have, like, how many sources they have, because two doesn't sound like that many. But two is kind of a lot. And there has been a real debate, apparently, about how hard a line Democrats should take and if Democrats should allow for extra time for Republicans to be engaged in or even lead the policing of Nierman, the consequence, the accountability of Nierman, or if that's something that should not wait for Republicans. And that's a that's an interesting sort of intra-palace tug and pull. Uh, and with some with some new members who are who have been raised in who have been uh, coming of political age in the modern sort of call out era, saying no, what what real accountability means is shame and shunning, and what real accountability means is moving very quickly and not messing around with things like process or bipartisanship, uh, and. Others saying, well, we actually, uh, counter arguments including, well, we want, we actually don't want to give further justification to Trumpistans to, uh, to gin folks up saying that there isn't process. Our, there's a reason we have a due process clause. The reason we have a due process clause is so that Salem witch trials don't happen. The reason we have a due process clause is so that angry mobs don't hang people. Uh, Nobody's suggesting hanging Nehrman, to be clear. And it, I find that as an interesting debate. But the other dimension that I find interesting, or, and another dimension I find interesting, is for whom Representative Nehrman works. And in this way, and I'm not drawing parallels otherwise, but in this way, it reminds me of the Diego Hernandez circumstance, when Tina Kotek also stripped Representative Hernandez of his uh, committee positions. And there was, you know, an apparent effort, pretty obvious effort, without without investigation, without particular process, to have Diego Hernandez uh, deterred from, if not removed from office. Uh, and he just won re-election. And ultimately, the who Representative Hernandez, Representative Nierman work for, the people of their district. Ultimately, that's who has to hold them accountable. And that is not for me the end of the matter, but it does put for me, not only how do you have accountability mechanisms that are extrajudicial or accountability mechanisms that are extra electoral or accountability mechanisms that are within the leadership of the legislature, accountability mechanisms that are on social media or, you know, traipsing around one's house. But how do we make sure that we have accountability mechanisms at the ballot box and electoral democracy that works? Or we move to a system of sortition of citizen uh, citizen boards and citizen juries so it isn't all about elections and fundraising but those are some of my thoughts dad if you were in the legislature what would you be pushing for with respect to representative nearman or if you want to move to another legislative topic that's cool too well (coughs) on this one you you have very well talked about the, the overall big issue. The specific issue, of course, 
is what should be done with elected officials who aid and abet potentially violent protesters in invading a government building that is at that moment off limits to the public. Yeah. And uh, that, of course, uh, reminds me of the fact that the impeachment article is going to be delivered. In fact, it may be being delivered as we speak. It's going to be delivered to the Senate today. The trial is going to begin on the 8th of February. And that's something that I think we should talk about. But but before we dive into that, there are two things that, that I want to make sure we acknowledge. I want to acknowledge the passing of Hammering Hank, Henry Hank Aaron at age 86, one of the great baseball players, but also one of the great human beings in baseball of all time. And Larry King, the, uh, the commentator, the interviewer at 87, the two of them, those two gentlemen, definitely made great contributions and they will be missed. Hank Aaron, underrated. Underrated because he played in a small market in his career. Underrated because Babe Ruth played in New York City. And underrated because the United States is far too racist to ever want to acknowledge that Hank Aaron was, at his time, the greatest baseball player in the world. Uh, started out in Negro Leagues and went on to the Major Leagues. And even only counting his Major League home runs was the home run king that we won't just make it a sports section, but I have to say something about the upcoming Super Bowl because I did some independent research. Independent research! I did some independent research. Okay. Now, you're familiar with Bill Russell. Of, Bill Russell, of course. I, I, I had the privilege of, of uh, being on the same talk show as Bill Russell once, and so he and I were in the green room together, and, and I really nice chat with him. And you're familiar with, uh, with, Michael, with Michael Jordan. Of course. Now, those not, not, neither one of whom uh, played football, by the way. Both of those players, and to be clear, the average age of retirement in football, the average the average career span in football is shorter than the average career span in basketball. Just to just to emphasize right. that point. But Bill Russell retired at age thirty four. Michael Jordan 34? retired thirty four. Okay, you're kidding me. Michael Jordan retired from the Bulls at age thirty four. That was his last ring or MVP. He came back, you know, for that season with season, half, season plus with the, with the Wizards. They both quit okay. so early. All right, it just, that you know, my, uh, Magic Magic Johnson Magic Johnson retired at thirty one. Uh, uh, Larry Bird retired at thirty five. But let's just take that age thirty four. There was not. It, it's interesting. In fact, you said I can't believe it's so early. I think you're thinking that because of Tom Brady. Okay, so 43. since Tom Brady since his age thirty four season. Okay, if you just imagine he did not play from ages 30, excuse me, 23 to 32 or 22 to 32. Just didn't play those seasons at all. Okay. Let's say he just started that same year, that same age season as when the two, two of the greatest basketball players of all time hung him up. In those years since his age 34 season, he has over 44,000 passing yards ahead of Joe Montana, Johnny Unitas, Dan Fouts, Donovan McNabb, and Jim Kelly. He would play some 18th all time. 
He has 320 passing touchdowns ahead of John Elway, Warren Moon, Joe Montana, and John Unitas again. That's 12th all-time. He has six Super Bowl appearance. That would be tied for first all-time. The only player with more is Tom Brady, including his years age 22 to 32. And three Super Bowl rings plus one pending. That's tied for third all-time among quarterbacks, tied with Aikman and just behind Montana and Bradshaw. Let's be clear. If he wins, Tom Brady, age 34 and older, would be tied for first place all time for Super Bowl rings, not counting age 22 to 33. So there you go, Pop. Quite amazing. Don't like him much as a human being, but he's a whale of... Never met him. I don't like his politics. Uh, We will move on from there, but you wanted to talk about, you brought up the impeachment. What do we know? Well, the first question, of course, is the constitutional question. uh, Is... uh, can you can you impeach somebody who is no longer in office? There was a precedent set uh, in the 1870s when a secretary, a uh, uh, cabinet person, resigned, hoping to therefore short circuit impeachment proceedings, and they went ahead and impeached him anyway. Uh, perhaps the, the house the house has crossed that Rubicon already, and I suspect the Senate will since since. That will only require a majority vote to rule on. I suspect that if that comes to a vote in the Senate, the Senate will vote that it is constitutional to consider the issue. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps more directly is whether or not Senator Rubio is right when he says that it's stupid. It's stupid to waste time trying to impeach somebody after they've left office. And that's what I want to respond to. Yep. And, and, and also because... Uh, of the unlikelihood that this time they'll get the 17 Republican votes they need to get the job done. So what are your thoughts? I'm with Jim Westwood, the longtime Republican uh, lawyer, even activist and community member, and who was on the show what, two weeks ago. And the problem with saying these are impeachment proceedings like other impeachment proceedings is exactly what Marco Rubio said. Now, just because he says it doesn't make it so. Just because he says it doesn't mean I agree with him. Oh, but, and by the way, while I'm talking about, I'm talking about Rubio, I, I think what's really eating at him is that he knows that the vote on that is he, he would dearly love to avoid having to vote on that issue uh, when people are already speculating who will run against him. One of whom might run against him is Ivanka. Go ahead. And I would, uh, I, I would be emphasizing not impeachment. I would be, in, uh, I would be, focusing on the Fourteenth Amendment, and I'd be focusing on Donald Trump and maybe Donald Trump family members and people who are engaged in the seditious riots, their ability to run for office in the future. Okay, and the and I would use the and to address any bill of attainder concerns, or at least to address. And to address any due process concerns, I would just use the impeachment process as the mechanism by which we provided process to make the determination not of removal from office because Mark Rubio can easily say wherever he is, well, that seems dumb. The guy's not in office anymore. And that can be around, I guess, water coolers aren't a thing anymore. There used to be water coolers. Now there's now the Internet. That he's like, oh, that's dumb because, you know, he's not going to be in office. But what is not... Out of, what, it, what does remain in question is his fitness to serve in the future, is his fitness to, uh, for someone who's been involved in seditious riots to 
uh, put themselves up for election. After a beer hall putsch, do you still get to write your Mein Kampf and try to make a great return with your, uh, with your even more bloodthirsty allies? And I think that is an issue. I think that's where I'd be putting the focus, and I would be saying the word impeachment. I would try to have a different word entirely. Uh, I, would, I would try to just have a word accountability or 14th Amendment or whatever word I should use, and I haven't done that research, but that's what I would say about that. If you were in, would you do anything particularly different? I, I'd say I think that, uh, that, that Pelosi, Schumer, and Pelosi and Schumer have uh, made, done at least one smart thing, which is delay the vote until after cabinet officials were, uh, got, had a chance to get sworn in and get some uh, legislation introduced. Uh, any, any other comments you have about the manner by which uh, the Congress is proceeding or anything you would change? Well, I, I, I think that I would like to have seen, the, well, let, let me back up. The big criticism I had of the first impeachment attempt was that they failed to include as articles other behavior that, in my judgment, if proved to be true, clearly rose up to impeachable offenses. And so that was too bad. And I'm wondering if they have done that also this time, although in the single article, the wording of the article, because of the what they have included, it does allow them to litigate the lies told about the election. And that's a very interesting thing because that would that would give the opportunity if Holly or Cruz or or any of the six folks who voted to overturn or to to do bad things to the electoral college process and and the the acceptance of the electoral college vote an opportunity to bring in evidence if they wanted to to try to show that that he was telling the truth which of course they probably wouldn't even try but if they did would be a good thing because it could be so easily rebutted that would be a good thing it uh, it also allows them to of course bring up the fact that he encouraged folks to come and, and spent days, as, as I talked about when it was going on on the show, of all of the emails I had received urging me and everybody who was on the conservative email list of millions and millions of people to go to Washington on the 6th and then he lit up the crowd following speeches by a congressperson and a former mayor of New York City that uh, were lit up the crowd. Also, it allows them to litigate, the, to, to produce evidence of his conduct in calling the Georgia Secretary of State, because that is specifically named in the impeachment. And so what what I am hoping is that they really bring in evidence, and I am particularly hoping that they have been interviewing everybody who worked, who was in the White House during the afternoon of the 6th of January, who might have observed the president watching what was happening on television to describe his demeanor, 
the way he was reacting to what was going on because I uh, there is a there, there's talk apparently that he was there cheering him on and that I would think would be extremely important in assessing what his intent had been when he went on for many many minutes telling people they had to be strong telling people they had to do something inserting one minor sentence about peaceful but all the rest inciting them to go after it that that would be evidence as to what he really intended we're taking a little break in a bit some of the stuff that's going to be coming up includes what's going on in the legislature big issues facing the state that includes we've got a new secretary of state we've got a note in about some right-wing criticisms of our current secretary of state criticisms i worry gives them too much credit we'll mention that we will talk probably a little bit about campaign finance reform of course climate legislation will be on the agenda or at least environmentalists will be urging for it to be on the agenda Police accountability, racial justice, two separate and related categories of policy discussions will be before the legislature. The budget will be a big issue. $25.6 billion, I think, was the Kate Brown. It was the governor's initial budget, but we will have at least two more budget forecasts before the final budget is submitted and passed. And after that, and, and in that time frame also, could be additional round or rounds of federal financial intervention. What are you paying attention to? What are you watching? We will see if there are additional steps. There will be some additional steps on housing. What and are you paying you, attention to? He is to? referring to our listeners. Question here, what is the best way to remove his words of the fascist traitors in Congress who may have played a role in the insurrection at the Capitol? Well, best way might be asking a lot. Uh, Dad, do you want to answer this question first or second? Or not at all. It's not required. Well, the, the best way, of course, is to elect them out. But, but uh, since, since if, it's, if it is a senator who may not be up for election for five years, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, expulsion is the, uh, is the other answer. Here you also I like. You, 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 you can't recall them in most states. I'm not sure if you can recall them in any state. In addition to that, I do, I, I, what else comes to mind, who's to say best, but what else comes to mind is, well, somebody used to say that, but probably not me. Uh, it, what comes to my mind is the discussion from previous and the Jim Westwood discussion about, uh, about the 14th Amendment. That it, and it turns a bit in part on how they were involved. But if it is a high degree of involvement, then the uh, then that Fourteenth Amendment tool about precluding from serving an office of somebody being a traitor, somebody being a seditious, uh, is a uh, is is an option, and I wouldn't go overboard with that. Right? It's it's I mean, alien sedition acts were uh, a time in American history we do not want to relive, uh, but the uh, but making sure there's basic fealty to basic processes, to basic democracy, the, the basic and most moral underpinnings of the country, that matters, and that should be uh, stood up for with the highest measures of, or among the highest measures of accountability. And the other reason I like that mechanism 
is because the reason I like having a process that includes a vote and includes public hearings and includes evidence and facts so people can watch it is to remind that we stand for the rule of law. We do not stand for the rule by mob or the rule by whomever is most angry or most aggrieved or the most heavily armed or the most white or the most not white. What we stand for is due process of law. What we stand for is democracy. That is why this court sits. That's why we have a show. That's why we appreciate you listening. And we should stand for that. And therefore, we should have a legitimate process. And a, another reason why we should engage or we should want to have a process like that is to remind the world and remind ourselves the discussion we've been having over the last four years is not merely, and in many important moments, not primarily, about the previous president of the United States, but about the movement that allowed him to rise and didn't only allow but promoted and kept him in power. And that the white supremacist elements in the United States have not gone away. The oligarchic elements in the United States certainly have not gone away. The mechanisms of communication by which rampant falsehoods are repeated and repeated and repeated, those have not gone away. And putting some of the focus and the members of Congress, the 100 plus members of Congress who have supported the attempt to falsely overturn an election. They've, they've not gone away. To, 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 literally to sub, subvert the constitutional process. And I think shining a light in accountability beyond the outgoing president, it's actually my one quibble, not just my one, but quibble with, quote, an impeachment process is because, in my mind, the focus should not merely be on the outgoing vice president, as important as he is, as important as that is, and I don't want to cheapen it. Thanks for the text. The uh, Dad, I mentioned the legislature. There's a bunch of stuff there. I mentioned Alexei Navalny. Uh, where do you want to go first? Well, what I would we we of course for the last four years have talked about DDT a lot, and and I would like kind of to laundry list. I just like to laundry list what I would what I call the DDT detritus. Detritus, of course, meaning stuff that's le- awful stuff that's left behind when somebody goes. I kind of like the laundry list with the hope then that we would not have to mention him much anymore at all. Would that be okay? To not mention him much more and more, I, I suspect people would like that. I suspect it will still be in our minds the same way that Nixon was in our minds. Sure, in, uh, but we don't forever. have to talk about him. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, first. Interesting to note that the percentage of senior White House jobs that turned over during his presidency, 91%, 39% of those jobs did so more than once. The chance that an outgoing senior White House employee was fired or pressured into resigning was one in every four. The other three apparently left because of conscience, so they got the... the uh, over 30,000 lies or mischaracterizations identified by Washington Post, and he used those to bully people and divide people. He politicized the Department of Justice, starting with his firing of Comey, the head of the FBI. He obstructed the Mueller report, and he obstructed 
and, and what he did in Ukraine and the fallout that still exists because of what happened in Ukraine. The his pardons, the both both the pardons that he granted to his cronies and the dangling of his pardons to make sure that folks didn't go south on him. His firing of whistleblowers, his firing of inspectors general, his inspi- his firing of critics. For example, Chris Krebs, the top election official for the federal government, was fired because he had the temerity to say that it was a fair, fair and safe election. The use of his office to enhance his income, the the encouragement of folks both foreign and domestic to stay at his facilities, both in Washington, D.C. and in New Jersey and in Florida, to in, in order to have access to him and his folks. His, uh, his being from the very beginning, downplaying COVID, behind the curve on COVID, we are we are going to pass a half a million deaths by the end of next month, almost for sure, because of his always being behind on COVID and his information, quote, unquote, that he got to uh, uh, Ms. Burks and uh, Anthony Fauci have both uh, gone live in the last few days acknowledging that... Uh, he would come up with stuff that they had never heard before from individuals they didn't know existed uh, on COVID. His insertion of sycophants into the civil service, into civil service jobs, which is something we're going to be suffering from for some time. And then, and then the fallout in states in Arizona. Republicans, the Republican Party in Arizona, have censured their Republican governor censured their former Senator Jeff Flake, censured the wife of Cindy McCain, the wife of the deceased senator, all because they had the temerity to say that Trump had lost the election in Arizona, that that somehow that becomes grounds for censure. The Oregon Republican Party doing the same thing doing the same thing and just generally sowing hate and division every chance he had for four years that's uh, that's detritus and and then the fallout the fallout that he's left stuff to watch that's something to talk about <laughs> maybe we will be talking about mar-a-lago Members are bailing in Mar-a-Lago because they don't want to be associated with him anymore. The reason they wanted to be associated because however bad he was, he was the president. But they're bailing now. The his, the revenue reported from his businesses down 40%. That's going to be a thing. Something that might be worth talking about a little bit more is what's happening with Mike Lindell and the My Pillow folks. Retailers are bailing on my pillow because of what Lindell has had to say about the 6th of January. Bed Bath & Beyond is an example. Not going to carry his stuff anymore. And something that I'm really looking forward to, I'm hoping happens, 
Dominion has written a letter to him saying that they may be suing him for what he has had to say about their equipment. And if that happens, that that will be a place where we might finally get a public litigation of the claims about the phony, that the, the election was somehow a hoax and that he that DDT actually won. But a very interesting local thing on that. Day before yesterday, a participant in Next Door neighbor, the Next Door TV, uh, rather computer email thing, asked for people's advice about the my pillow. He the the person wanted to know whether anybody had bought the my the pillow for my pillow and if so what they thought about it and by by late yesterday afternoon take a guess at how many responses there were don't know just 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 hazard a guess knowing knowing that knowing that uh, the most i had seen on any issue up to then was something like 25 102 175 a lot 175 and a lot of them pointed out uh, that uh, Lindell was not somebody who you really wanted to support because of what he said about the president. But interestingly, and for those folks out there who are thinking about buying a pillow from my pillow, make it clear what I'm about to say is not the position of this station, not even the position of me, because I don't have any knowledge. But the vast majority, there were a couple of folks who said, yeah, well, we like the pillow. But the vast majority of folks who had bought the pillow said it was a really lousy pillow. And it was a, there was um, some of them just called it a scam, which I thought was very interesting. Well, Dad, do you want to talk about the, uh, I brought up Alexei Navalny and I brought up the Oregon legislatures. One of those you wanted to address first? Well, Navalny, I'm, hope, I'm hoping that we'll, you'll have a good deal of discussion with Tim Markov when he calls in this morning about Navalny. Uh, the thousands of folks, many, many thousands of folks protested all the way across Russia. Russia, Russia spans 11 time zones. Now think about that. The United States spans four time zones. Russia, 11 time zones, from Vladivostok on the east to, the, what's the farthest west? Moscow, I guess Moscow's in the, in, close to the far west. Well, on the risk board, I believe it's Kamchatka on the east. But I think that's just oh, on the risk I board. I guess that's right. No, that's just I the risk board. I don't even right. know if that still exists. That's just yep. what I learned when I was like 13 and something like 3,000 folks have been arrested, and this is going to be this is going to be a real test as to whether or not the vestiges of democracy still remaining in Russia remain, or they really have gone back to Stalin-like times when the guy in charge can do anything he wants. I point people to the New York Times, that some of their excellent reporting on the situation in Russia. And I'll give some of the highlights to pass along, but also with credit. The uh, Alexei Navalny, of course, w- was a, I suppose you could call him an Internet journalist, uh, who was railing against uh, Russian uh, uh, corruption is the word I was looking for, and including very specifically Vladimir Putin. 
and he got some traction. He ran for mayor of Moscow, and despite being blacked out from state television, which is the television, he got 27% of the vote just on the basis of his, uh, just on the basis of his internet following. And there is a, uh, there is is the mild, some would say, illusion of democracy in Russia, but there is a growing uh, bourgeoisie, there is a growing middle class, or at least, eh, if not growing, at least there is some version of an urban middle class who likes the idea of having some say in their government. And the show of some dissent, right, even even having, even promoting counter-protests and then quelling those protests can demonstrate, see, there's some, there's some freedom of speech here. That is, that has been sort of the equilibrium, if we can call it that, within Russia since Vladimir Putin surprisingly returned, surprisingly to some, returned to office and assumed the role more of a dictator. Uh, the, and then Navalny got poisoned. And, it, and they found, they even got, uh, they even got, so to admit that he was poisoned and that it was a poisoning agent that was military-grade poison available to Putin Confederates and not many others. And now he has returned to the country. What I would say, and I guess we probably will talk about it more with Tim Gethers' response, but uh, one of the things I find interesting is the timing of it. If I'm in conspiracy corner, I'm saying that the uh, national intelligence apparatus flex, national intelligence apparatus, or at least some might say, that the national te- intelligence apparatus has said, all right, uh, our democracy has been under attack. It's been under attack by a nuclear state. And we are now going, and, and the fact that Navalny returned not while Trump was president indicates a couple of things. And, and so that it's not just a series of filibusters, Dad, I'll put that in the form of a question. What do you make of the timing of Navalny's return to Russia? Well, the the easy thing would be that he went back as soon as he felt healthy enough to do it. But but you have to you have to also wonder if he wasn't thinking that it would be good to wait until he could count on or hoped he could count on a strong reaction from the occupant of the White House. Uh, which indeed he has received. The, the Biden administration has reacted very strongly to his arrest. And, and how, how much he was looking at that, only he knows, but I can't help but think it might have at least influenced his timing. What do you think? Angela Merkel, the first time that he was, uh, when he was poisoned, Angela Merkel uh, intervened because at first they weren't taking him to the necessary hospital to get checked out. Right, and they needed saved. to get into a German hospital where where you couldn't count on where you could count on the the doctors treating him and and not making sure he died. And and remember what I said. I mean, understand that what's been going what's going on in the with global power. I mean, this is like really pay attention. And Angela Merkel decides that she's not announced that she, she decides she's not going to run again after Biden wins. Right after, in fact it's clear that he's going to be certified and going to be president. She doesn't do it beforehand. Connect that to Angela Merkel personally intervened to make sure Alexei Navalny could in fact get medical care. And that's how they found it was a state agent that poisoned him. That the, that Alexei Navalny uh, going, 
back to Russia. He had said he wanted to go back, but timing that, it could be as simple as, and, and I think it's probably carrot and stick, but it could be as simple, and it, it, and it almost certainly includes the simplicity of, yeah, he didn't want to go back and then have Donald Trump asked about the subject as well. I've heard the guy's a bad guy, right? And then start getting the entire right-wing communications apparatus of the United States somehow being more and more on the side of Vladimir Putin. Uh, I think it, it, that, that could have been even the dominant motivation. But I have... I wouldn't be surprised also if there's some communication with pro-democracy forces that say, listen, somebody might have to play that Angela Merkel rule and make sure this guy doesn't rot in jail or get poisoned again. And that Angela Merkel rule, I mean, actually applying state pressure uh, to pry open sunlight or some degree of accountability or some degree of safety. So that's a part I find pretty interesting. But Dad, this is Thursday, and we should be talking about the Oregon legislature because the Oregon legislature is back in session. Wait, 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 right, wait, 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 wait. That is a hard pivot, but I wanted to. I want. I wait, felt it. It's not going to be. Let, I'm not going to be allowed to do that. It is Thursday. I, Monday. Excuse me. Excuse me. Monday. It's Monday. It is not. I wasn't with you last Thursday. Thursday. And there is more to talk about before we before we pivot there, because I hadn't I hadn't finished. I hadn't really finished with wanting to say goodbye to DDT. I had a couple oh. more things I want to mention. Oh, okay. The also, st- stuff to force to start watching. Stuff to start watching. The uh, banks are pulling out from him. Lawyers are pulling out from him. Events are pulling out from him. There's been a lot of public pu- uh, notice about uh, the Professional Golfing Association pulling out from one of his. But another one that hasn't received a lot of notice, for example, is the triathlon called Try at the Trump is is shutting down, not happening, because it's lost its sponsors and lost vendors who don't want to be associated. But also something really to watch is what is the Department of Justice going to do in cases where they have been defending him? For example, taxes, tax information to the House. The, uh, the Department of Justice has been supporting the refusal of the de- Treasury Department to provide the House copies of his tax returns, which is clearly authorized by a specific statute. So what what will the DOJ do with that one? What will they do about the... Uh, refusal of Don McGahn to testify, which has been sort of sitting on the back burner. Will the House want to insist on his coming, and what will they do? What will the DOJ do with the efforts of the Department of Justice to defend DDT in the E. Jean Carroll slander suit, where they were trying to, where they have appealed a district court ruling that said no, the idea that the his slandering her or what is allegedly slander of her was part of his official duty didn't didn't fly. So they they couldn't, but they've appealed that. What will they do with that appeal? What will they do with the attempt to get all of Stephanie Walcoff's book profits delivered to the government? 
And and then just one thing that came across my email today to give you the idea of how this is liable to hang hang around. I received today a an invitation to purchase a Kennedy half dollar, an original Kennedy half dollar, which is I'm, I'm going to read it. Trump Trump is quote still my president closed quote collectible JFK coin. And what do do I get if I if I ch- click on yes I want this coin, I get the collectibles that show Biden and the left, who the legitimate president is by showcasing this, still my president coin in your home or office. Our president loves this country, worked tirelessly to make America great again. The dirty Democrats don't want to hear the truth about the election. The evidence shows how much. This country loves President Donald Trump, no matter how much the fake news media or do anything Dems try to stop it. And what do you get? You get an authentic U.S. JFK half dollar, which, by the way, I believe is worth 50 cents, revolutionary, high-definition colorization, a certificate of authenticity included with each coin, enclosed in a stunning acrylic coin capsule collector's edition guess how much they want for that 50 cent piece uh, 51 cents $19.99 you know that's low key a QAnon thing right that the uh, 20, the, 20 bucks oh but you can get 5 of them for just 12 uh, no let's see uh, yeah 12 bucks a piece or you can get ten of them, interestingly, for a little more than ten bucks a piece. Um, but if you but if you get uh, buy five or ten, you get free shipping. If you only buy one, you don't get free shipping. So it's something more than 19.99. But what that tells me is that is that the poison. Poison that has been inserted into the body politic is going to last for a long time, partly because there is money to be made from it, and partly simply because he and his supporters have convinced so many people who were taught as children, you ought to be able to believe what the President of the United States has to say, you ought to be able to believe what senators and congressmen what the congressmen and women have to say. You ought to be able to believe what what party leaders have to say about things as serious as to whether or not an election was legally conducted and accurately tallied and uh, correctly implemented because they believed them. It's going to... The, the poison... It's going to take a long time to go away. Some of the issues facing Oregon, facing the Oregon legislature as they are now back in session include racial equity, big opportunity to advance racial equity. There will be big discussions around police accountability, including other inequities in the criminal justice system. The Black Indigenous People of Color Caucus now has 12 members. It is the most diverse legislature in Oregon history, both in terms of race and gender. 
There are proposals for additional assistance to workers and business owners of color, proposed changes in states in the state education system, and a proposal to change Measure 11. Floyd Przonski has proposed that the that minimum sent many of the minimum sentences under Measure 11, instead of judges being forced to levy certain strict sentences for some serious violent crimes, that the Przonski bill would make those sentences presumptive, allowing a judge to revise them up or down, thanks also to the reporting by OPB on this matter. Uh, now, there's other things to talk about legislature. I want to stick there for a little bit. Any comment on that or anything you're paying attention to in the upcoming legislative session? Well, the, the last one that you name, Measure 11, relates also very closely to police reform and to what ought to be done there. Uh, and that's something that we need to we need really badly to have an intelligent discussion about. Because you have, you have folks over on the far left who are still talking about getting rid of police. And, and I, as I look at uh, the, what I res- was waiting for me when I opened my computer this morning and there were messages from next door, there was the, the inevitable report of a porch thief who a woman had had the success in seeing happening, so she was able to go back and, and, and rescue the package that had just been stolen, but didn't bother to file a police report because she didn't believe anything would happen or that the police would even come. The the fact that the, the, the folks who, a good case can be made that the folks who are most underserved by the police are minority folks, people of color especially, people in poor neighbors especially, where the, the, they, they don't have enough trust or they recognize that nothing is going to happen or they believe that nothing is going to happen, that, that there needs to be a really thorough discussion about that and, and a recognition, recognition that in a free society, if you're going to have a free society, you really have to have some sort of of organization that enables you to pull the string on folks who violate the law. Any thoughts on the legislative session? Well, that's that's something that that's something that uh, the legislature is going to be talking about. Police accountability is definitely something that needs to be looked at. I, I strongly hope that legislation is passed so we do away with the arbitration system where a police officer who is disciplined by the chief or by his or her senior officer goes to an arbitrator and the arbitrator overturns the discipline, partly, at least partly because the arbitrator knows that if he or she doesn't do that, he or she will never get the fairly well-paying gig to act as arbitrator. That, that, that's something that absolutely needs to be looked at. I also hope that they will pass legislation giving the Attorney General the responsibility of investigating and deciding whether or not there should be some prosecution for use of deadly force by police officers. So you take it out of the hands of the local district attorney who inevitably, inevitably, is influenced by his or her relationship with the police and the fact that a good case can be made that his or her most important constituency is the police. 
those are a couple of things that I sure hope they do. Some of the big things that are on the docket, including redistricting. Every 10 years, the census happens, and then the Oregon legislature has to draw out the new map, sketching out the districts for our congressional districts and our U.S. Excuse me, our U.S. congressional districts, our state senate districts, and our state house districts. Also, of course, are, the likelihood that we are getting an additional... Yeah, con- we're going to get another one. ...additional congressional seat and the pressure on the legislature to, and the sort of likelihood. I mean, this is an ala blue state. It used to be purpler, and now it's bluer, but it's, it's you know, not by 25 points or anything. And, the, uh, and there will, of course, be a desire by some incumbents to safen up their seats. Certainly that could be true of, uh, certainly that could be true of DeFazio's seat. He could stand to gain a, gain a few Democratic voters. Uh, Kurt Schrader could stand to gain a few Democratic voters, although some Democratic voters would probably like to beat him in the primary. Uh, and But there will be other pressure to not give. The challenge is, if you do anything to shore up in the redistricting, those two purple districts, right? We have essentially uh, two firmly blue districts, one uh, firmly red district, one firmly Republican district, and two swing districts that are both represented by Democrats in Oregon. That's how it is right now. Uh, the there will be there is right now a significant there will be a significant push to add a Democrat to Congress, meaning to try to draw the state in such a way that there is another district that includes some Portland, and uh, and one could justify that a lot around those statute around communities of interest because that's where population growth of course has been uh, so significant is in the metro well, uh, area a very, a very fair case can be made for that because if you look at the republican registration and you look at the democratic registration the uh, the second district has got a really good deal going for him and I, I am uh, when I look at the map of Oregon I really wonder where where is the Senate, assuming we get the 6th District, which I think is quite likely, especially especially we're liable to get it because the the the, uh, the effort to exclude non-citizens from the census has died. The the effort of DDT and his folks to say particularly that Latino immigrants that's who it was mainly aimed at should not be counted in the census. They are going to be counted in the census, and, and uh, because Oregon has a fairly substantial Latino population, that makes it more likely that we are going to get the sixth seat. If you are guessing where the center of that district is most likely to be, what would be your guess? And I'm asking that because I don't have one. I, I would suspect that what they would do is right now you've got, I, I would suspect they would try to have uh Four districts. This is a big question. Whether there's going to be four districts that touch Portland. And my guess is that that will be, uh, th- that will be one version of the maps drawn. There will be a, a powerful constituency pushing for four districts that touch Portland. One that heads out west. Okay. And might, might, go, might take Bonamici's district and push it sort of further west. Uh, one that pushes out straight east, right? And if you really want to do it, you could do it. You could do a district that was a, uh, uh, you could do it like a, 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 a Columbia River district where Ram, you did. Ram Hood a, River. Uh, yeah, where you did a district down to Hood River. And then, uh, and then have a, uh, and, and 
you know, it would sort of be it would sort of be Herb Blumenauer's district, but all of a sudden he would get. And the question is, do you do you start it that far east and head and say, okay, Herb Blumenauer, you're now the uh, you're now the member of Congress from the Columbia River District, uh, or do you start that? Just do you keep his house? Right. Do you do you draw? Do you start that district? Probably what I would do. Okay, this is what I I want to say. I would do what I could imagine somebody doing is starting that Hood River district at 82nd Avenue, or starting that Hood River district. Yeah, maybe 82nd Avenue, maybe maybe I 205. So that keeps Earl where he is. Tries to tries to get as much of that population. Maybe even starts further east than that. But so you get, he doesn't have to be doesn't have to be Earl. But you have sort of that that new seat, and then and then put Schrader with Schrader's district more push it west a little more and basically you're trying to fit four districts touching portland and that gives you enough votes to try to have this could imagine you know for people who care about and understand that all these political machinations it might just seem silly but understand that if you're the oregon legislature right now the pressure on you not because if you just create another if you create one red district and you shore up defazio's district to shore up schrader's district there's an argument to do that drawing this state over the long term so that it ha- over the next decade so that it has four democratic members of congress and two republican members of congress that's a that is a you know cons- very conceivable thing but if you do that then all of a sudden you are giving you're just handing mitch mcconnell you're handing uh well, what's why am i forgetting the the the, the house minority leaders uh, House Murray leader's name. It's not Murphy. What's his name? Anyway, you're handing the uh, you're handing the Republicans one more seat. That's a hard thing for Democratic legislators to do. Uh, so, but anyway, I think that's how you do it. Is you you try to get four touching Portland. But I don't want to stick only on gerrymandering. I don't stick only on redistricting. Uh, there is there'll be a big discussion as well around the uh, around racial equity. Also around Oregon's COVID nineteen response, uh, there is uh, there's a bill uh, there's a bill right now that's being pushed that w- there'll be discussions about whether about mandatory vaccinations for kids uh, and not necessarily COVID vaccinations because that's not on the mandatory list. But there was a bill and Ra- and uh, not Rob Nose but uh, but uh, Senator Wagner, Rob Wagner is pushing a bill to make uh, child vaccinations mandatory unless there is. A, a legitimate medical excuse. And of course, the anti-vaxxers are out in force on that. The uh, uh, there's a co- now going to be a special committee, including uh, Representative Maxine Dexter. She's going to chair the health care subcommittee on how we're going to address the vaccinations and how we're going to address COVID-19 generally. And that's something that desperately needs to be addressed. Oregon, Oregon is is unfortunately in towards the bottom of getting the vaccines out and uh, dates kept being pushed the one of the interesting controversies right now of course is is the governor's decision to put teachers ahead of old folks i have a strong personal opinion about that i would be interested in yours but but go ahead yeah the teachers question it, it, it's an interesting one right it, it, I understand the governor is under pressure from various quarters and one of those quarters and one of the ways to predict, by the way, one of the ways to predict in the modern world uh, what's gonna what's gonna happen, and therefore what strategists push is if they can find I call it sort of a pincer move. If you can find support on the right, and if you can you know support that has significant uh, power within either more pro democracy or even more admittedly or or decidedly I should say 
progressive media, although that, that is a m- very thin category, uh, and some support in right-wing media, and then also within the power structure, if you can find support within kind of progressive activist groups or just organized labor, and if you can find support within right-wing groups, potentially business groups, that if you can have that pincer move, then you can, it, it, it can help get something done. Now understand that Kate Brown doesn't, will never think that her constituency includes a bunch of Trumpists, but her constituency does include uh, some degree of the Portland business intelligentsia and, and, the, intel- and the business and business folks around the, around the state. You know, you want to see, be the governor sort of crossing the urban rural divide and listening to businesses around the state. And what so many of them are saying is, hey, get kids back in school because we want our parents back in school and we want our parents back at work. And if kids are in school at home, then parents don't feel comfortable leaving them at home. They, we, you know, school provides essentially a subsidized child care for so many families. And I think she's getting that pressure a lot. But she's also, if you're, if you're one of her advisors, you're Kevin Looper, who has been... Who, built our Oregon with the uh, with the strong support of the teachers union. And if you can get the teachers union saying, yeah, us getting vaccines first, that sounds real good. Then all of a sudden you've got both a big, uh, you know, sort of let's call it a conservative constituency, a big business constituency uh, and a big labor constituency, big public labor constituency. Let's call them teachers that uh, that can make that feel like just a brilliant move to certain people, including the, in, including Kate Brown, including her advisors, who, let's be frank, the people who are most likely to pay for big political consulting contracts include businesses and include public labor. And in fact, the list doesn't get all that much longer than that. Uh, so I do find the political dynamic potentially interesting. And that does, and it does, you know, get my spidey sense tingling a little bit. Very glad that my brother, who is a public school teacher, will be in the vaccination line. Very much appreciate that. Uh, but uh, and, and in terms of operating the economy, in terms of operating, you know, getting getting traffic back to normal. I know people are probably disappointed we haven't had enough traffic over the last nine months. But if you want traffic back, the best way to get traffic back is, yeah, probably get kids back in school. But that's some about that dynamic. And so my opinion on the on the governor's decision to put yeah. teachers ahead of old folks and for folks who don't know is I definitely qualify as an old folk. The, uh, the folks over 80 were b- to be eligible today, but now the eligible for folks in my age group are the 5th of February. They may be pushed out further. And I have to say, I totally support that. I totally support that because apart from the political considerations, which you have just accurately and aptly described, what the governor has to address, the question she has to face, is what group of people provide the most value to our community, the most value to our society, and should therefore be given precedence. Well, it made a whole lot of sense to start out with the people who have to deal with people who are already sick with COVID to keep them well, the, the doctors and the nurses and the orderlies, etc. But, but I don't have any difficulty in acknowledging that the contribution my son Jonathan as a teacher is making, the need to get 
him back in the classroom so his kids can be back in the classroom so that we no longer see what is happening to an alarming degree kids on the on the on the the, the lower level of of the spectrum of, of his classes dropping out not participating and the, the gap widening much more important to get him back in the the classroom than to give me a couple more years yeah and the scientific case to be clear let me, uh, is also pretty it can also be made pretty robustly if, if young people if what you're aiming at is getting the highest number of people back to in-person activities if that's what you, if that's what the objective is right to get the highest number of people safely back to in-person activities then you can say well start with young people because they are not as whether or not they're susceptible to catching it they're not as susceptible to it becoming as dangerous for the for young people though don't it's not a free lunch uh, and well so get them back to school ah but what about the teachers okay well then vaccinate the teachers if vaccinated teachers and then students who aren't as much at risk then still do social distancing still wash your hands uh, still wear masks still be careful but all of a sudden then you can have a significantly higher number of people who are uh, who are back to in-person activities and then add to that some parents who are staying home for uh, uh, to, to make sure they're with their kids or parents who are working from home who are having a harder time working from home because their kids are also there. So you do impact a huge number of people with that move. So there's a good, you know, there's, there's certainly a robust policy case uh, that, that, you know, that people are aware of, even as I delve into some of the potential. And talking dynamics. about the legislature, I think that some sort of mandatory requirement of getting vaccinated needs to come out of the legislature because we just we just cannot have what right now appears to be as many as 30 or more percent of our population saying no no I'm not going to get vaccinated and therefore I'm not going my kids are not going to get vaccinated we just if we to beat this we can't have because we we are the scientists are telling us that right now we are in a race between the people getting vaccinated and the mutations of the virus into more virulent strains. And that's that's a race that we've got to win. Oregon now has reported the third case of someone with one of the mutated one of the mutated cases and, and we that's a race we just have to win. Well, by the, Pop, way, the, by the way, the convention center, Portland Convention Center, is is now apparently this week fully operational as uh, the Portland headquarters for, for getting your vaccine when you're eligible. Downtown Apple Store is giving its mural to "Don't Shoot Portland." As you said, Governor Brown has clarified the vaccination timeline. Uh, the seniors 80 and older really eligible for the vaccine starting February 7th. Vaccinations for elderly and school worker groups will be complete May 2nd. Uh, Inauguration Day protests in Portland drawing a little bit more attention. Uh, Mike Schmidt saying he's going to pursue charges against four of those arrested for doing things, including smashing the windows of the headquarters of the Democratic Party of Oregon. Uh, Also, we will be talking about the state legislative session and be hearing your thoughts and answering your questions, which include about campaign finance reform, one of the issues that's going to be there. What limits... Will Oregon pass? A question I would have for you, and I will raise again. Oregon has unlimited campaign contributions. 
Oregonians just voted in mass to allow for limits to campaign contributions. And now the legislature will determine and vote on what those limits will be. One of the things I'd be curious from listeners is if you were going to imagine a limit, an amount of money that would matter to you, that would be be a big stretch for an average Oregonian, what do you think that amount ought to be? Right? Not what you could imagine a super rich person to give, but if we wanted to guide democracy towards how the middle class can engage in it, what do you think those limits might be? Would welcome your thoughts. About time for Tim Markroft, Dad. I think that probably means it's about time for Straw in the Wind, but you were about to say something. Well, I was just to say that that is something that the legislature must deal with, and I hope as they deal with that, they also will take a serious look at providing a, some real incentive for candidates to look to smaller donations by coming up with with a system that says if you agree to limit the amount the biggest uh, the the uh, the amount of the size of any contribution you get there will be some pub, some support from government for your campaign indeed you ready for a straw in the wind pop i am like a straw I have two straws in the wind. In the wind. First, the sad straw in the wind. The malls around the country are really suffering. Lloyd Center is called a shell of its former self in today's paper. And Godiva, the chocolate company, which two years ago was planning on expanding its businesses in America into more change are shutting down all of their United States stores selling or getting rid of closing them all that's a sad straw in the wind but a neat straw in the wind too that go together Charles Brown is the new chief of the United States Air Force and Lloyd Austin has been confirmed as the Secretary of Defense why is that a straw in the wind because both of them are African Americans well, Pop, we did it one more time. We did it indeed, and we'll be back on Thursday. Love you, lad. Love you, Pop.